Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail and also the host of this podcast. This week, we have Marisa Zupan, who is the co-founder and CEO of United Sodas of America. United Sodas launched right when the pandemic first began. It's a wild story. I remember right when they launched, I talked with Marisa, and so I want to sort of hear about what's going on with that, how things have developed, what's going on in the future, all that jazz. But Marisa, thank you so much for joining. Thanks so much, Kale. It's great to be here. So for those who don't know, why don't you just give sort of the background of how United Sodas came about? Yeah. United Sodas is really a reaction to the fact that soda had a big heyday and then had kind of this incredible sort of long many-year decline in its uh, relationship with Americans. The product itself uh, hasn't really been updated or reinvestigated for a long time. High fructose corn syrup, uh, all of the kind of um, colorings and chemicals that are in soda, both diet and full sugar. Uh, the idea that the soda brands are big behemoths that don't necessarily connect um, really intimately or in a modern way with culture and people and keep up with what people want and need and care about is also something that was happening as well. I don't know if you remember the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. Um, oh, I sure do. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, that happened a few years back, but it sort of is a very fresh in people's minds um, when it comes to sort of the disconnect that was happening between the soda category as a whole from a product standpoint and from a brand standpoint. So my background was in both beverages um, and in beauty and in fashion. Uh, I was a brand strategist and uh, focusing in new product innovation and rebrands and brand strategy overall. And I always felt very passionately about the beverage category. And so I was working with beverage founders um, from all sort of different stages. And the main story was always soda is bad, soda is evil. Uh, we have to create an industry that is, you know, um, slowly squeezing soda into a smaller and smaller space and hopefully deleting it forever. And what I kind of came to was, Actually, perhaps soda is the, is the core of the opportunity. And what we need to do is redefine soda and we need to update soda and we need to improve the relationship between Americans and soda. It is, after all, a great American invention. It's a great American industry. And so I strongly believed that that was sort of the torch I wanted to carry. And, uh, so that's how United Sodas was born. We're here to redefine what soda can mean and really be the next great American soda company focusing on the future and creating beverages that are um, both well-concepted uh, and good for you and a brand that also is more clued in to modern people and modern culture. How do you go about that? Is that a branding question? Is that an ingredients question? Sort of All what of is the above. Okay. So, so walk me through what was the, what you had this aha moment that the, the white space in beverage is soda specifically. And then you were like, here's how I'm going to approach this. Mm -hmm. how, how, how did you do that? Yeah. So the first thing that we had to do was really develop a, a platform that was going to lead to uh, a complete 
a reformulation of what soda could mean, and then also a redefinition of what a soda brand could look like and how it could behave. And so United Sodas of America was sort of at the heart of that idea. It is a very iconic, um, aspirational type of name. It, uh, what, one thing that I often say is, you know, we, we have to always make sure we understand what our brand means by United, what it means by soda from a product perspective, and what it means by America from a cultural perspective. So that, to me, was very important. We needed to answer those questions through the product and the brand. The product itself is all focused around the idea that we needed to reformulate everything. So the base of our product is organically sweetened across every single flavor. We launched with 12 flavors uh, because we wanted to create an incredible amount of variety. So lots of different people can come into the brand from different angles um, based on their taste preferences and their occasions and all of that. Um, so everything is organically sweetened across all 12 flavors all natural flavors and colorings. So that was an entire product development um, track that we had going on uh, that lasted you know, over two years before we got into market. And then from a brand perspective, this idea, idea of variety comes through with um, a brand that's based off of a variety of colors. We are a brand that um, uses rainbow as our main um, communication symbol. And so every single one of our 12 colors has a distinct color within that rainbow. When they all come together, you can really see the idea of what it means to be united. And separately, you can really understand the idea of individuality, of choice, and um, of, of flavor that we bring together. To the table. So the brand system and the product both pay off on this idea of modernizing soda and uh, expressing what we mean by variety. You were developing it for two years. You came up with a portfolio of 12 um, flavors. How A, how did you pick the flavors? Why 12? And was there ever a thought that maybe you would have a sort of centralized United Sodas? Uh, I'm can't think of the word right now, but like one beverage that is your beverage and then sort of mm. go from there. Uh, what, what made you decide to do the more portfolio aspect of many flavors and not one like classic United Sodas? Mm -hmm. So one thing that we knew was that many of the brands out there, like the big, the big iconic brands um, that we all know, uh, there is one flavor that they all have. And then they have, you know, like a cherry one and a vanilla one. And that's kind of what they have. And that's the basis of their entire brand um, or their entire product line. And that is not something that we subscribe to because we knew that variety was the insight into the market was that variety hadn't quite yet hit that that uh, stride in soda. You saw it in cereal. You saw it in yogurt. You saw it in chips. Variety is key to the customer experience right now in this country. It's happening in every part of the grocery aisle and every part of online. Um, and we wanted to bring that through. So the 12 flavors from a sort of consumer insight standpoint was very much about that. From a brand standpoint, um, you can't be called United Sodas of America and offer two flavors or three flavors. You really need to get that idea of, you know, variety united um, through many different, uh, you know, the representation of many different flavors. Our flavors, obviously, from a color spectrum standpoint, run the gamut from um, red to, you know, all the way to purple and indigo. But from a taste standpoint, we also made sure that we had a spectrum from more traditional flavors to more modern flavors. So that if you're someone who just always goes for your cherry or your orange soda, we have that. And if you're someone who really wants to kind of push the limits and try maybe a, a sour blueberry or are excited by ideas like 
uh, pear elderflower or strawberry basil, we have entry points um, there too. So um, creating against the spectrum was really important to us because we are a brand about a wide swath of variety always. From a SKU standpoint, it's really bold to be a startup and have 12. I feel like most of the the, the new companies I, I talk with have one, maybe three if they're going crazy. And so how how did you handle that at launch when you had a, like, like, and we can go into sort of like what happened with launch specifically, but I'd love to just hear like 12 is a, lo- a lot of SKUs to have as you're like going out the door. Right. So actually, funnily enough, um, you know, the 12, the 12 is always, we always knew, we went in with open eyes knowing that that was a heavy lift. The thing about the product is that it's all, it's very much a symbol of what the brand believes in. So, um, if we wanted to create this brand that was all about variety, um, then we knew that we needed to make a decision about the product and we went sort of to the extreme and said, okay, we're going to do 12. We're dedicated to 12. That means that we wanted to launch knowing that most of the experience that we wanted to introduce everyone to was a 12 flavor experience to start. So 12 SKUs, yes, our central selling uh, sort of format is what we call the variety pack, which has one of every flavor. That is an extraordinarily unique proposition in the beverage category because operationally it's difficult not only to make 12 flavors, but then to all put them in one box and ship them out the door in a way that's a beautiful experience for customers. And so that experience itself was a huge market differentiator for us. That was the story. That was why you wanted to come to unitedsodas.com and buy the product. I'm speaking specifically D2C right now because we launched in the pandemic. And so we focused on delivering to people's homes rather than really trying to ramp up our retail experience. So as you might be aware, there are two very, very different businesses, wholesale and retail, and then uh, and then D2C. So focusing on D2C, that experience of the 12 flavor box was the way that, you know, of course the brand was important. Of course the flavor flavor profiles themselves were important, but the whole system together in a box was really the thing that allowed United Sodas to break through. And that was very unique, very differentiating. Um, So that worked out incredibly well for us. The 12 SKUs become more complicated when you have to project and when you have many, many different retailers and distributors that you need to manage. That's where the 12 SKUs get complicated. Launching D to C with 12 um, sodas in a box, um, somewhat, you know, somewhat complicated, but actually, you know, that was, that was less complicated than what happens when you when you really bring on a lot more partners, which is something that we're, we're experiencing now with growth. Managing it, but it's definitely, you know, uh, more about uh, le- when it becomes less about the brand experience and more about managing distributors and retailers, that's where it gets complicated. Yeah, I want to get into all of that. But let's yeah. so let's talk about, <laughs> so you, you had a mostly D2C only launch, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, was, what was the overall launch marketing plan given that people were stuck at home? Was it all digital acquisition sort of how how did you find eyeballs so that they would try it and were the, and were was everyone just getting the variety pack was that like sort of the like what was the the makeup of people who were ordering individual flavors compared to all 12 right so what we anticipated was that okay you know we'll we'll launch and um we'll make sure that we have an equal number of all SKUs uh so that we can satisfy whoever's needs you know whoever wants a variety pack or whoever wants you know whatever um what we found was that the variety pack 
was above and beyond exceeding our expectations and interest there, which is very interesting because the industry itself was saying to us, nobody cares about that. Everyone just thinks that they want one flavor and blah, blah, blah. Those shopping insights were completely false. And it's because they were being driven by a retail focused market that only ever sold single flavors. So if you only ever sell someone a single flavor, the data comes back saying that only people people will only buy single flavors. The fact that we are offering a 12 flavor experience, something that no one had ever offered before, meant that um, we found that people really, really wanted that once they had the option to purchase it. So that was, that was fairly surprising. Uh, but also, not at all when you think about our marketing strategy. So you asked about our marketing strategy for launch. Uh, we were D2C focused in the beginning. What we decided to do was really create a story out of the launch. So we made sure we launched with, um, with, with press and we had really, really incredible interest from press, including yourself. Um, but we had kind of a, a, a great press day with really, really beautiful imagery, uh, that, um, really drove people's interest. The proposition, the idea of what we were building was, I think, newsworthy in the industry because it was so different. And so that, if you have something interesting to talk about in terms of your product or your launch, um, it was actually somewhat controversial. There are, I think, because of the 12 SKUs and the idea that we were launching D2C only, um, there was a lot of people talking about the brand for that week uh, and a lot of conversation about it, which meant um, that really became the linchpin of how we drove interest. And, um, you know, a lot of it was organic on the back of press. After that, we had, you know, obviously we had digital acquisition strategy, but to be honest, um, the demand for us outpaced and our velocities outpaced the stock that we had. So we had to be very careful that we didn't spend the media dollars um, too aggressively because we would have had an empty warehouse uh, and obviously line time in the middle of a pandemic for producing product is challenging. So right out of the gate, we had to learn how to balance our marketing efforts and our media spend with our stock needs and our production needs. And that has been the continuing story of United Sodas <laughs> because, um, you know, really keeping up with that demand has been um, one of the things that is is like the most intense part of our jobs. So there are still constraints with that. Have you been putting your foot on the gas for marketing at all? Or has it just mostly been, we have stock, we sell out and then you know, starts over again? You know, it's a little bit of both. We go through periods where we market um, quite aggressively. And then uh, like last summer, for example, obviously summertime being really big for soda, we had a big push that was centered around out of home, uh, which was also very unusual, but worked very, very well for us. By the time that push was over, um, we actually ended up exceeding, you know, our sales goals based on what we wanted to spend. And so we tapered that off because, uh, again, like stock was, you know, we had to make make sure that we were creating, you know, a paste, um, we were selling a pace, right? Uh, the thing that is going to, for any startup with an aggressive sales strategy and that is selling exceeding sales expectations, it, you know, you just have to make sure that um, that system of sales, stock and production are going to be, you know, a cycle and does that doesn't stop. That is, I think, probably the best problem to have, if I'm being honest. You're always going to have an issue, but that's like the best problem to have. And, and it's something that we have to keep up with. We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I have a few questions. So one is with the out of home 
was it getting people to go to the DTC website campaign? Because I feel like specifically with beverage and out of home, often the idea is you you have it outside and then they go to a bodega and get that. that. So were you also pushing retail at that time or was it just to get people to the website? Uh, so out of home is very interesting because you can't actually control how people look at the billboard. So the billboard doesn't click through to anything. So, uh, the, we are a, uh, we're an omni-channel brand and we have a hybrid model, business model. So we are D2C and we are also wholesale. Out of home actually works both for both. Um, and even when you are not on shelves, out of home has a B2B play. So what we found was not only did it signal, you know, that we were here, that you can go to the website. And of course, people would Google us and go to the website. They would take photos of it, which created organic engagement, et cetera. Um, but it also spoke to a B2B audience, meaning trade, buyers, distributors, et cetera, that said, oh, this is a new brand that I don't have that looks incredible, that everyone's taking photos of these beautiful billboards. I need this. And it created a lot of inbound interest in that way, which is extremely effective for us. And then the last piece is we were in retailers in New York City uh, and we have since grown incredibly in the city, but it also drove interest, you know, off the shelf as well. So out of home, you know, we had a huge amount of success with that campaign, um, partially because it was so unusual for a brand of our of our size and age to do such a thing. But um, it really worked for us on on multiple levels. Was the B2B side of it expected or was that just something that you ended up getting a lot more inbound than you thought you would? It was a hypothesis, but it was one that paid off. I mean, look, like, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting um, things that happen when you have an omni-channel business and media spend, which is that I think a lot of people think that, you know, your trade spend happens in, in only this one channel and your consumer spend happens in this channel and et cetera. And actually, humans are humans, you know, just because you, you buyers are consumers, too, or humans, too. And when they see a billboard... They think of it for their business and they think of it for their home at the exact same time. And so, you know, we were betting on the fact that just because it was a billboard that had a consumer website on it didn't mean that trade wasn't going to pay attention to it or care about it. And that actually ended up paying off um, quite well, I think also because the subtext of being on a billboard or, you know, a large out-of-home piece um, is that you are a legitimate brand with big um, aspirations and are well-funded. Uh, and I think that that is the kind of brand that uh, retailers and distributors want. So that was also a signal that we were, we were sending. It wasn't just an awareness signal. You can say the same thing on an Instagram post this big that you can on a billboard, but the audience is going to interpret that differently based on the medium that they see it in. And so billboards have been very, very, and out of home in general, has been very interesting for us in terms of the way um, it communicates about what type of brand we are and what type of company we are, not just what product we're selling. This is my last question about launch, just, but I really mm-hmm. want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, with, with the variety pack that people were, were, you know, taking to more than you expected. Did you find that repeat customers would go back to the variety pack or was that sort of like their introduction and then they would choose a flavor? 
The repeat purchase on the variety pack is actually really surprising. Um, many times it is a sampler pack, so the customer journey will be, okay, I buy the variety pack, I choose the flavors that I want, and then I go back and I buy those flavors. That's to be expected. What we didn't expect is that um, a few months into launch, we decided to put our variety pack subscription on. We had subscriptions for everything else, but we thought, does anybody really just want a repeat purchase of the variety pack? People were doing it on their own, so we thought, hey, we're going to throw the subscri subscription up. It became our number one subscription. It is amazing how people love to have that variety pack experience in their fridge. The more I thought about it um, and more I looked into what was happening in the market, the more I saw that we were a big believer here in learning across category. So uh, beauty insights, fashion insights, insights, you know, uh, like adjacent categories like yogurts and other things in the grocery aisle, like that's very interesting to us. What we found is that, you know, the rise of spiked seltzer is very real and it is impacting not only the supply chain of cans, don't get me started on that, but, um, but it's impacting how people shop for beverages, period. Not just alcoholic beverages or beer or whatever that is, but beverages as a whole. Majority of the spiked seltzer um, uh, sales happen in those variety packs. You've all seen them. There's the tropical pack. There's the berry pack. There's the lemonade pack, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that we were offering a similar experience where you get three, um, we, have, we have some smaller packs that have three flavors, and then we obviously have the big pack with 12. Those are far and away our best-selling Skews, And I think that means that people are looking for a variety experience or a themed experience, period. And so uh, we want to make sure we're giving people access to that experience as much as possible. That's so interesting. I mean, it's true. I've, I, from time to time, have bought Spike Seltzer and they have those variety packs. Yeah. And that is a thing that has become more natural to me. I do wonder if, like, do you think that there is a different use case for people who are drinking United Soda compared to who are drinking Pepsi? Like, I feel like it's maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there are people who are like at work every day. I have my my Diet Coke and that's my thing. And then the how I experience my my uh, spiked seltzer is, you know, it's a Friday. I'm just going to go into the fridge and take a random one and drink it. Or do you think that people are interfacing with your brand different than they would expect a traditional soda brand to? Mm -hmm. um, your use case is a very interesting one because it is very specific to cola. And cola, um, yeah, and, and cola is a very important uh, sort of uh, subcategory within soda, and it has its own use cases because of caffeine, but also because of the kind of like a coffee replacement midday refreshment thing that, that, that cola brands have done a great job owning. So certainly that is a specific use case that I think is reserved for cola. Putting that aside, um, soda in general, whether it's an orange soda, a, um, a grape soda, ginger ale, whatever that is, all have different implications. But I think overall flavor is the number one thing that people, refreshment, of course, but flavor, right? So if you, you, you know that you want the cherry one, you know when you're in the mood for a grape flavor to make sure that people have the flavor that they want, but also arrange, you know, people's moods change. Maybe in the, you know, in the afternoon with my pizza, I want a cherry, but then at dinner, I want an orange and, or whatever that might be. Or for my birthday party, I want uh, a rainbow or whatever. To allow people to have the flexibility, it's almost the, the chameleon-ness of the options that you have, allow us to 
um, shift and change based on occasion, based on mood, based on age, based on whatever that, you know, based on setting, time of year, seasonal flavor profile preferences, things like this. Um, so I think, you know, how people usually drink soda is all around maybe their flavor favor. That, but the choice of how to shift it into their life hasn't quite been given yet. And that's what we're platform is trying to provide. And what we're finding is that people are very much intuitively using it that way. Um, one thing that we find that's very interesting is because we are such a visually based brand as, you know, as a way of expressing our flavor, people who are throwing events like weddings will take United Sodas. Let's say you have a themed wedding that is that is a blush color and a yellow color, right? And those are their wedding colors. They will come to us and they will order an extra peach and a lemon verbena for, you know, their tablescapes. And that is how we have our soda has a role in weddings. Soda is not an intuitively wedding product, but people are automatically understanding how to use our soda to fit their occasion or their moment. Wow. Let's talk a little about the retail rollout. So you were in the New York stores around launch, and you've been expanding that out. Sort of what has been the overall retail expansion, and, and how has that gone? Mm-hmm. Wow. The retail world of beverage is just, I mean, we could write a office-style, like, <laughs> mockumentary about it. It is very interesting, very complex, full of wonderful um, characters, and um, it's, I'm, it's new to me, but not to get too um, too in the weeds about it, there are many different routes to the shelf in beverage. It's not just uh, it's not just like okay, I'm going to turn my wholesale strategy on and set it and forget it. Um, you've got your different you know ways to market, which are broadly speaking. Um, your broadline uh, distributors like your Cahies and your UNFIs. Um, you've got your direct business, which um, you know can can get you all the way to the Publixes and the WalMarts and the Targets, for example. Um, and then you have your uh, your DSD business, which is most prevalent within you know your um, your urban areas, right? With your up and down the street business, bodegas, whatnot. And you you can do them all at once uh, if you want, uh, but that is quite a bit of of uh, quite a bit of lift. So we've really been focusing on um, on owning the urban areas first, especially our backyard. Um, so New York DSD. But then um, if you want to be a national brand, you really have to complement that with your broadline. So now we're bringing on broadline partners and um, obviously direct is something that we're looking at as well um, in a real way as we start to grow quite aggressively. Um, and really playing the dance between those has been the biggest uh it's a challenge, but it's also kind of like a puzzle, like an exciting puzzle that we have to put together because they are slight. They're all are all different uh, in terms of um, even pricing model and also uh, just how you manage um, those businesses and the people within them is all very different as well. So having a, a, a team that can pivot between speaking to distributors and speaking that language and then speaking to DSD partners and then um, selling direct and that is, uh, you know, it's been amazing to see the se- the team rise to that to that level of complexity. And so far, so good. What cities with your DSD or not your DSD your um, your broadlines are you in right now? Well, Broadline is sort of um, right now what we're doing is expanding um, into areas that are, you know, 
sort of offshoots of the New York and LA and Dallas areas. Um, but the, and, and I say that because um, you really just need to make sure that the, it's all about the retailers. It begins with the retailers. They're going to choose whatever distribution model that they want. And so you have to be able to give them options in the target markets that you have. Um, sometimes uh, broadline can be great to open doors and sometimes it can be great to um, kind of expand territory. So for example, Pacific Northwest is something that we're looking at um, right now and we haven't tackled it yet, but it's sort of the next on our list of areas we want to expand into. So opening a couple DCs is up there is great for key accounts, um, but then you need salespeople and you need the up and down the street business to sustain that. So you kind of need to go in with a holistic approach, both Broadline and and DSD with a sales with a sales support as well. Got it. And right now, what is the general pie in terms of D 2 C and wholesale? Uh, are you getting more D 2 C business, or how does that how's that working out? Well, for beverage in general, once you get your distribution sort of like cooking, just based on the way sort of people buy right now you're going to start to see a huge rise in your wholesale business. At first, of course, D2C was 100%. Then it became more like, you know, uh, 60%. Now it's, you know, hovering um, 50% and um, and sort of falling as we expand. Um, but to me, uh, that's really about making sure that you're using D2C in an, and wholesale in a complementary way. I don't want the business to fall into competing, you know, competing. We are one business. We have two different revenue streams. And within that, there's even different revenue streams, you know, um, within those. And so what we want is for our wholesale business to complement our D2C business and our D2C business and media to complement our wholesale business. And sometimes that means certain seasons, you're going to have a higher D2C um, success and certain seasons you're going to have a higher um, wholesale success. It's all about managing the balance between those two. We've seen very interestingly that um, D2C for us because of um, the holiday season actually is uh, proportionally much more successful than the wholesale business because you're not, you know, you're not going out there and selling pallets in December for wholesale. Um, but for D2C, that business is perfectly healthy during that time. So it actually allows us to, you know, kind of flex throughout the year with some um, protection. Are you guys doing any outreach to restaurants and bars or thinking about that? hundred percent. Like, yeah, go, go into that. Mm-hmm. Food services is really critical, I think. And, um, of course, and when we launched, there was no food service and hospitality, and uh, and and that's okay. Um, but now that it's back, I really see it as you know a lot of people have been saying this. It's like the Roaring Twenties, and um, as a food item, a beverage item, and a food and beverage business, like you. <laughs> you better jump on that. So we've got our sales team who specializes in not just you know, up and down the street, but also in food service, especially in New York, because food service and hospitality is such a huge part of this market. So um, that, you know, our, our sales team definitely prioritizes both. I mean, it's it's a different type of business, but, um, you know, dropping a can at a table or having, you know, a lineup behind a bar is media. And so um, making sure that we look at it, obviously, as a distribution opportunity, a sales opportunity, but also brand building opportunity is really important for us. 
It makes a lot of sense. Well, we're, we're almost running out of time, but we haven't talked a lot about the future. You're about a year out after launch. What is the plan for, for this year and beyond? Is it? Do you have a, a goal in mind for a direct wholesale? Do you want to get national distribution in Whole Foods or something like that? Or And also, is there going to be product expansion? Sort of what, what are your goals for the months to come? So I think what's really important to us overall is to solidify our position as um, the next great American soda. And by soda, I literally mean um, an actual soda, which is meant to be enjoyed in many, many different occasions by all different age groups and uh, and something that people sort of start incorporating into their lives in many different points. That means that from a brand perspective, we want to make sure that people understand what we mean. So making that message clearer and and getting that out there in interesting ways is very important and building upon the foundation that we already have, expanding where we are available. Um, So of course, you know, you can't blanket the nation in one year uh, successfully (laughs) as as a startup. you got to pace your growth. Um, But making sure that we're not just present in New York and LA, which have been incredible um, places for us and they are really our, our core markets. But we're called United Sodas of America. So we want to make sure that outside of D2C, on the shelf, we're available in other markets that are really valuable to us. Um, so really managing that expansion nationwide um, in a sustainable way is great. Now, when it comes to Whole Foods and whatnot, of course, you know, that's on the horizon. Um, but I wouldn't say like the only goal of United Sodas is to get into Whole Foods or different doors. <laughs> We're a beverage company. We want to be in, you know, as many doors as possible with incredible retailers. And so, of course, that's going to be on our trajectory. But um, higher order things that we want to accomplish is just solidify our position as as um, as a soda leader. Got it. And is it going to stay with the, the current 12 lineup? Are you going to be doing more products? So we do have plans to expand. Um, many of the brands in our category do sort of like limited edition flavor drops. And that's um, certainly always been a part of our aspiration. Um, but as the brand has kind of matured, I personally have really realized that I think we want to create sustainable additions to our product launch, like things that actually speak to what we're trying to accomplish as a brand. So, and with 12 SKUs, you know, there's a lot for us to manage anyway. um, And there's a lot for people to choose from. So we've been um, working behind the scenes on um, a product expansion that we're really excited about for the next year that is less limited edition and more here to stay. So that's all I'll say, but we're very excited about it. All right. I'm excited to hear about it. Well, Marisa, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much, Kale. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.